What Makes a Great Leader? In the podcast series, 12 O'Clock High, a podcast on business leadership, I explore this topic with Richard Lummis. We take a look at examples from history, from business, from current events, and even from the movies. If you're interested in all in business leadership, whether you're a CEO or whether you're a middle manager, this is the podcast series for you. We take a look at presidents and everyone in between. I hope you will check us out. 12 o'clock high. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic. In today's topic, we take on the subject of the business roundtable's statement on the purpose of a corporation. I find it to be one of the most significant documents recently released, not only around corporations, their stakeholders, but also compliance. I believe that this document synthesizes many views that have been articulated in the compliance community by myself and others for many years. Matt, however, has a different view. Matt finds this to be an extremely cynical document and has a four-point outline of why he believes the statement is not literally worth the paper that it's printed on. So I hope you will enjoy this debate between Matt and I and see who comes out on top on your eyes, if either one of us. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist and the Voice of Compliance, together with the coolest guy in compliance, Matt Kelly, back for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. We are going to take a deep dive into the recently released Statement on the Purpose of a Corporation, released by the Business Roundtable on Monday, August 19th. Uh, I thought it made quite the um, uproar in the press. It was interesting to see the commentary. Matt has some uh, pretty strong views on it, so we're just going to hop right into it. The um, uh, statement changed the purpose of a corporation, at least from that on the Business Roundtable, from shareholders uh, only to several different stakeholders. So there were uh, stakeholders in the form of customers, where it said, quote, delivering value to customers, we will further the tradition of American companies leading the way in meeting or exceeding customer expectations. To their employees, the uh, statement said it would, quote, invest in our employees. This starts with compensating them fairly and providing important benefits. It also includes supporting them through training and education that help them develop a new skill set for a rapidly changing world. We foster diversity and inclusion, dignity and respect, end quote. For uh, suppliers, it stated, quote, dealing fairly and ethically with our suppliers. And we are dedicated to serving as good partners to other companies, large and small, that help us meet our missions. For communities, it's stated, quote, supporting the communities in which we work. We respect the people in our communities and protect the environment by embracing sustainable practices across the businesses. And finally, shareholders. Stating, quote, generating long-term value for our shareholders who provide the capital that allows companies to grow and invest and innovate. Uh, we are committed to transparency and effective engagement with all, with shareholders, end quote. So, Matt, I found this to be a, a very positive statement. I thought it embraced many of the concepts that 
you and I talk about on a fairly regular basis. You have been talking about, um, certainly since uh, your Compliance Week days, I've been uh, and, and writing about them as well. Uh, I've been writing uh, about them since I've been uh, in the blogosphere, and I thought it was an important first step uh, towards moving the discussion uh, to the stakeholders and to see if corporations corporations will actually be able to uh, to make this change. So I know you had some different views on that. Well, I do. And, I mean, first let me give a nod to some of, I think, the benevolent impulses that might be behind this. But, you know, for example, where I might take issue is where people might say, this is an important first step to take to talk about stakeholders. Well, like, no, it's not, because a lot of other groups have been talking about this for quite some time. Um, and this is only, I think, um, a reaction from America's CEOs, and we can get into this uh, a little bit more detail momentarily, but this is a reaction from CEOs, I think, to a couple of big, broader trends where they basically have realized we cannot ignore this talk about stakeholders and business ethics and good conduct that others have been talking about for quite some time. Um, there is definitely greater appetite for that among the public. And, Tom, you and I have talked about that in uh, the statistics from the Edelman Trust Report that comes out every year and for the last several years, especially this year. Uh, that has been a key message, that that's something the public wants businesses to do. Um, I partly think it's a reaction to the increased transparency that is out there in the business world generally, that it will be much easier these days for others to call companies out for um, some of the less morally high-minded um, behaviors that companies might um, engage in. But, I mean, it gets to that age-old debate about how much morality should a company have. A company is not actually a person. It legally exists as a person, but it's just a set of agreements and contracts that everybody agrees to, but it's not an actual person. What's that uh, old uh, legal statement? There's no... Um, sold a dam and no body to kick. Um, but the people who comprise a corporation don't feel that way. They do have souls that feel like they've been damned. They do have bodies that feel like they've been kicked. So I'm not surprised people have wanted this, and CEOs are now trying to respond to it. But um, for all of the good nature that might be behind some of this, I could still put three or four very cynical spins on this that you know, leave people, leave me at least a bit suspicious about what's really going on with this statement right now. So, Matt, I don't think you have to be as pure as Boston-driven snow to do something correct or even right. And because there may be different or even cynical reasons for doing this, I don't think takes away from the power of it. Uh, actually, I would agree that it's certainly a response to not only the commentary act, uh, but the political uh, state uh, the possibility of a President Warren, uh, people like you and me, consumers, customers, and a wide variety of other uh, pressure groups have moved corporations to seeing it's in their self-interest to do this. Uh, but I don't think that takes away from the power of what they have done. And if we can get them to move the ball, which I think they've done, and we can continue to have a conversation about moving that ball and now we have the business roundtable helping us move that ball. I don't see uh, really the motive behind why they did it as a negative or not. 
uh, allow me to give you my four reasons why this might be construed as a negative. Um, and then we can get back to how they might actually move the ball forward, because I would like to see the ball move forward. Um, but, you know, what sticks out at me is, as I said, four things. First, the statement has no actual force of law. And not only that, but if a CEO really did embrace this idea of stakeholders fully, he or she probably would be violating some parts of Delaware corporate law, where most large companies are based. And, you know, you'd be risking a lawsuit from some unhappy shareholder who says, oh, no, we want amorality and maximum profit all the way through. Um, second, you know, if CEOs are recommending that shareholders get a reduction in their relative power and importance, which is what that is. As soon as you say there are other stakeholders who deserve importance too or consideration, well, that's a dilution of sh shareholders' prior consideration. Well, who decides then how that extra consideration gets reallocated among all these other stakeholders? I'm willing to bet the CEOs would say that it's the CEOs. Um, I will you know, be hard-pressed to think that some of this power that may or may not, or consideration that may or may not get reallocated might actually go to labor unions, like you actually see in Germany, where labor unions have a big uh, influence on the management supervisory boards at German companies. I don't think we're going to see that in the United States. Um, I don't think we're going to see city councils suddenly getting much more say in local issues that might be affected by a corporation. Um, you know, how would that actually work? Third, if CEOs are saying that shareholder interest is not paramount, then by extension, compensating CEOs by grading them on shareholder return, that also might become a less important part of CEO compensation. Well, isn't it convenient that we bring that up right now when many people think we might be entering a long bear market where shareholder returns might really not be that impressive. And if you're going to pay people based on that, they might not make as much money as they have for the last 10 years. And if CEOs are creating the opportunity for other sorts of compensation structures, I don't even know what they would be. I don't know how you would grade somebody on other sort of stakeholder return as opposed to shareholder return. But um, if they're looking to dodge and weave from shareholder return being the pillar of pay when that has been it for a long time because maybe this isn't going to be such a great economy for the next two, three, four years. I, I don't know. I'm not actually saying recession is imminent. I'm still more on the bull side than the bear right now. But but anyways, that's that's a question in my mind. You know, what are the implications for CEO pay if we start creating other groups that have to be placated by the CEO? And then, Tom, since you alluded to President Warren, that's the thing that sticks in my mind the most, is the timing of this. And I can't help but think that the CEOs who came up with this are starting to realize that the prospect of a President Elizabeth Warren or a President Bernie Sanders, that's not remote anymore. It is very plausible that Donald Trump is not going to get reelected next year. If he isn't going to re get reelected, there's only one or the party that will, and most of those candidates are not going to be anywhere near as flattering or um, I would even say supplication to corporate America that Donald Trump has been giving. That's all going to go out the window. And I think CEOs might be trying just to place a marker now that if Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or Kamala Harris or Joe Biden got into the White House, well, hey, 
We've been saying for a long time now that other stakeholders absolutely are important. We said that back in like 18 months ago. We've been with you all the way. Please don't hit us with the hammer, which Elizabeth Warren, I think, will be her natural impulse to do. So there's a lot of reasons why you could look at this statement with suspicion. In addition to, yes, it is also maybe not a bad thing to say, but um, there's a lot of different ways that uh, you, know, you could be suspicious of this, especially if you're a shareholder who's been trying to do your own, um, putting forth your own agenda for a long time. There's a lot of institutional investors who do have other stakeholders' interest in mind who are right now saying, whoa, 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 I'm the shareholder. I'm representing these other groups on my own, but I'm the one who gets to own the company, and now my power isn't going to be there. That's not fair. Those shareholders are not wrong to point that out, and so I'm very interested to see how all of this would unfold from here forward. So let me take those in reverse order. Yeah. So it's the timing. Uh, because the fantasy of a President Warren is certainly appealing uh, to a certain segment of the population. I think that by putting this marker out there, they're actually not only preempting President Warren, but if there were a President Warren, she would sit down and say, you have now set these five principles out and we're going to enact these five principles into law, and we're going to take your language. Uh, thank you very much. And the ability for a business roundtable, or frankly, I think any business in America, to then argue against these uh, would be greatly diminished. So I don't really find the timing of this uh, as, an, as negative or, or perhaps as cynical as you do, because I think it puts uh, a President Warren or President Biden in a much stronger position because he can simply embrace these five principles as a part of his program. And at least for the people that signed off on this, I don't think uh, they would have much success in arguing against this. Well, uh, that might all be true, but I think if Elizabeth Warren were at 2% of the polls for Democrats instead of 22%, I don't think we'd be having this conversation because I don't think the statement would exist. I, I agree with you that they are trying to get ahead of this by putting out a statement of principles that a Democratic administration might be able to take and put into law, but they're only bothering to do that because I think their people are looking and saying, oh, geez, man, there might really be a Democratic administration in another 18 months. We've got to get ahead of this now. Um, and, you know, the, the timing of it, I stared at a poll that came out just the after, this afternoon among Democrats that puts Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren ahead of Joe Biden. I'm not necessarily saying that that's going to be a good thing, but I could still see scenarios where either one of them or Joe Biden can still beat Donald Trump. And I think that CEOs are trying to hedge all their bets right now. Well, whether it's uh, President Warren, a President Sanders, or President Biden and not a President Trump, we still have this statement. And it, we do. it's there, and I think it can be used by any of those persons or anyone else who was so inclined going forward. Yeah, I agree. On the grading of the CEO compensation in a potential bear market, uh, I am less positive than you are about the state of the U.S. economy, and I think we are heading to recession. I think we will go into a bear market uh, simply because of the machinations, vacillations, and oscillations of the president uh, not no longer on a day by day basis, but uh, hour by hour basis, and with uh, the markets, I think are just going to continue uh, to be eroded because of the uncertainty. But once again, I see that if 
um, CEOs can say, well, we're, we should be graded on all five of these. Uh, I think now that this is in writing and we can grade them on it and people can take them to task, I think that's, uh, I certainly think that's a positive, but simply if they want to put uh, other metrics out there for them rather than simply a, a shareholder return and they put these five, once again, I'm very happy for them to be graded on all five of these. I, I would be too, but A, what would the, the test actually be? What would be the evaluation? And, you know, I, I don't have the whole statement memorized in front of me, but the, I don't think the statement actually said, and we should get compensated based on all of this. It just said, these are the groups that should be respected as the purpose of a corporation. Um, but, okay, if we're going to f- respect all of them, then we're going to pay you, CEO, to respect all of them. But I, like, I legitimately do not know what those kind of payment metrics might be. I'm sure there is no shortage of CEO compensation consultants who would be happy to work on that for a fee, but um, I just I haven't seen that yet. And just because the CEO and his or her pay consultant comes up with this metric, that doesn't necessarily mean that the stakeholder group is going to agree with that metric, and I, I don't know. We'll have to see. But it is a very interesting um, next step or implication for what would that mean for CEO pay, and I, I'm not sure that we have much clarity in that yet. Uh, so your next point, uh, I hope I got, wrote this down right, dilution of shareholder consideration. Yes. Um, so uh, consideration is whatever you receive back for the money you pay, and that still holds true for shareholders, that they'll receive the same amount of stock, same amount of uh, financial interest in the company that they have now. This does not statement does not purport to uh, say it's a, creating a democracy for corporations. Uh, there is no democracy in a corporation. It's run by the, the CEO with uh, senior management with board oversight, and I see nothing that changes the uh, corporate structure to make it more democratic. It is taking into account some of these uh, other stakeholders' interests, which uh, I find uh, right and proper, but... Uh, there's nothing in here that says this is a d- democracy. A, share, a corporation is a democracy, and, and frankly, I, uh, I'm not offended by that. Well, no, what I meant by consideration isn't necessarily cash or anything, but you know, originally when I had typed up some notes to talk about this, I said, who gets the power? And, well, you know, I don't want this to seem like some sort of Machiavellian uh, thing here, but you know, power or awareness or consideration, but really... Shareholders can act on their own behalf when they are at odds with the CEO because they've got power. It's enshrined in law. They can vote the CEO out, or they can vote out the board, which can then fire the CEO, but they have power. Um, If a company is not a democracy, fine, but then we still have other stakeholder groups. Somebody is going to be acting on their behalf. Well, who? Shareholders do get to act on the shareholder's behalf. Um, but if there are other stakeholder groups who don't get to act on their own behalf, but the CEO is acting on their behalf as he or her sees fit, like, I, again, in practice, I see that getting really sticky. Um, I see that as, like, if you have unionized labor, but the CEO is going to interpret the employee stakeholder group as he or her sees fit, like, the union's going to have something to say about that. Um, ditto for local communities and like the local community activists are going to have something to say about it. It does get back to what I had said earlier about the increased transparency around corporate operations. Um, 
you know, if CEOs are acting on behalf of these other stakeholder groups that may or may not be in agreement with what those actions are, it's going to be much easier for them to hold the CEO's feet to the fire because they mount these campaigns on Twitter like we've seen many times before that nobody likes. Um, how is this going to work? And I am not necessarily sure. Um, I do think that uh, the idea of the works councils in Germany I am not advocating that we have works councils in the United States. I want to make that clear. I get that works councils drive CEOs over there up the wall. But that is how you might give another stakeholder group actual power and determination over its own fate. If it's important enough to be part of the purpose of the corporation, but it's not important enough to be part of setting its own fate, like I'm, I, there's something strikes me there is dissonant. But... Like I said, I don't think works councils are the answer. I don't think works councils are ever going to happen in the United States. But so who gets to decide who, what is best interest of the employees if they're such an important stakeholder? Like I, I think the employees and the CEO might have different answers about that question. Uh, and that's where I just don't see this as not being a democracy is, is a problem. Yeah, that could be so. Uh, and then finally, no, no force of law. The... Um, uh, Milton Freeman did not create the purpose uh, of a corporation. Delaware law set, set the purpose of a corporation, at least for corporations incorporating the great state of Delaware, and that's been followed by the other 49 states largely. But uh, to say that there's no enforcement mechanism or no law backing this up, I think, really uh, is uh, has nothing to do with this as a statement and that if um, Carl Icahn or, or anyone else was so inclined, brought suit immediately for a corporation that took these five stakeholder views into account, I think a Delaware court would say, no, uh, that is uh, within the business judgment rule. And if a corporation thinks by uh, looking at these five stakeholders, taking their interests into account, they're going to make more money. We're going to let them see if, if they uh, can do so. If there's a specific action a corporation takes which is against uh, shareholder interest, I think uh, then there could be a suit. And, and I guess I would point to the uh, Oxy purchase of Anadarko here in Houston where Icon has said uh, Oxy way overpaid. Now, the transaction has gone through, and so he's seeking relief in courts, and I happen to believe he, he's right. They did way overpay. But as a business judgment rule, uh, I don't think – uh, that prohibits corporations from making an incorrect yet well-reasoned decision. And I don't think a Delaware court would sanction uh, any corporation that took these stakeholder interests into account um, going forward. I'd, I think that is going to open a very interesting uh, branch of case law in Delaware Chancery Court if we go down this road. Uh, I agree that the business judgment rule gives you a lot of flexibility. I'm just very curious to see how some of the fact patterns might get interpreted. Uh, if I am bringing jobs back from overseas to the United States to respect my local community, but it uh, spikes up the cost of labor for me, and I'm taking a big hit on stranded assets I leave behind in China, because you know China's not going to care. They're just going to seize these things and you know, order a state-owned company to buy them out at rock-bottom prices. You know, it, it, like, there's a mess there's always going to be a mess, and it's just there's going to be different incarnations of mess depending on exactly how we would interpret these stakeholder groups. Um, so if 
the CEO decides to give everybody uh, twice their compensation, but then fights tooth and nail against unionization, but the employees really want a union to fight more for health care. Like, how do we interpret this? Like, we can go on, we can go on, we can go on, and I think it will make for a rich and robust uh, period of Delaware case law under the business judgment rule. And back to your earlier point about corporations are not democracies, I wholly get that. And I get that, you know, sometimes these different stakeholders might not win. My family is not a democracy either, and yet somehow my kids give me and my wife hell whenever they decide they don't agree with the decision that the CEOs of the company made. And I think that there's a dynamic like that that would play out in companies that, um, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of strife as we try to put these principles into specific actions with real companies, with real facts. And um, I, for one, think if the business roundtable were serious, they might try something like supporting some new legislation to clarify some of this in Delaware court, maybe do something like uh, pass some new federal laws, work with a hypothetical democratic administration to put some of these principles into real laws. I'd be very curious to see all of that. But, um, you know, there's, there's just so much ambiguity around so many of the implications of this that uh, – it, it doesn't leave me as impressed as some of the breathless media accounts I did see in the New York Times and elsewhere. The um, individual uh, items that you articulated could be done, uh, such as new laws, federal law, state law, uh, advocating for these positions in other form. I think now we have a roadmap to do that. And I think by having this statement of purpose, it's given individual businesses cover to make those arguments, even if the business roundtable does not step up. And that really leads me to a couple of things. One is you never get, uh, rarely, I should say, do you get a massive change uh, very quickly. It, it's almost always incrementally. And though this, to me, seems like an incremental step. And that incremental step may or may not have been caused by uh, forces outside the control of the corporation. It may be a fear of a President Warren. It may be customers. It may be the amplification of social media. It could be a large number of of factors. But really none of those uh, matter to me because this is a positive step in my mind, uh, creating a positive direction and a positive move for corporations and gives people the ability to start uh, advocating for each one of these groups uh, with corporations and, and making them stand up to their words. It's, it's all possible. I mean, it, I, I agree with everything except for the fact that it is I, it is a positive step forward. It could be a positive step forward. You know, there could be other positive implications here. It does give individual CEOs, I think, more leeway to pursue some of these, and I'd be very curious to see how some of them do it. Um, and a lot of CEOs uh, already pursue some of these um, ideas with other stakeholder groups. They already do. They didn't necessarily need the statement. But um, I, I don't know. I just, when in doubt, I try to be cynical. And so far, life has rarely proven me wrong with that, with that basic approach. Well, Matt, on that note, it seems like a good way to conclude this podcast. All right, Tom. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. I wrote a blog post with my views on the 
Business Roundtable's statement on the purpose of a corporation, and I'll link to it in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to this episode, and I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week where we take a deep dive into another compliance topic, literally going into the weeds to flesh it out. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.